Welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. How's it going, man? It is going well. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We have some uh, new business to get to, like we did last week. We're going to announce some contest winners. Yes, I'm excited about that. Last week on the podcast, we asked if you would write us a five-star review on iTunes, and if we loved yours, we would read it on the podcast and also send you a special gift. So, Jeremy, who's your winner? Go ahead and read it, man. All right. So, for me, I chose... Frenchie1120 and Frenchie1120 wrote a review with the title being Fantastic Title Sequence. And Frenchie1120 says, love the discussions. The intro is also brilliant. So the reason I chose this is kind of an interesting one. I First of all, it's Frenchie. So I imagine for some reason that this is an international French listener. And I have evidence of that by the use of the word brilliant because that tends to be a (laughs) European English uh, word. So I'm going to hope we're sending something to France for Frenchie. I think when I think of Frenchie, I just think of like uh, mustard, like French's mustard. That's <laughs> like when I think of, that's <laughs> all I can think of is just mustard the whole time. So maybe a mustard company one. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe we can send it to the French's factory. How cool is that? There you um, go. So I have my contest winner here is I believe Mauer 31 and the uh, five-star review title is Red Rising fans, this is a must. So I'm a language arts teacher who doesn't normally reread books because honestly, there are too many new ones that I want to read and get through. But ever since I started listening to Hail Reaper, all I want to do is reread the whole series. I cannot wait until we get into the current books and hey, maybe we might even have book six by then. I love their banter and their discussions. They are clearly well-versed on the series and present ideas that I never considered. And seriously, Philip, it's time to watch season two of The Mandalorian. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make the announcement that if it hasn't happened by now, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I think we're going to uh, put no, this to don't bed. don't say that. It's just, it, yeah, I I just feel I'm too busy. You know, I got, I don't have a job <laughs> and, I, and I, uh, I have a dog that's really busy. Uh, just probably not going to happen. I got two kids. All right, here's the deal. You and I are almost vaccinated. We've already gotten our first. Yeah. We're soon to have our second. So mm-hmm. once the two weeks has passed and we're good, I'm personally going to come over to your couch. I'm going to duct tape you to it. I'm going to get toothpicks <laughs> to hold your eyes open, oh and I'm going to force you to watch it. Okay. We're doing um, this. This sounds horrifying. <laughs> I was like, just like, no, don't make me watch it. <laughs> um, so, hey, guys, if you if we read your review, send us an email. Uh, try to, like, screen capture your Apple ID or your iTunes ID. Uh, send it to us and then so we can verify it's you and we're going to send you a gift and thank you for entering. Thank you for uh, helping build up our platform and we're just uh, very thankful, very thankful for that. And again, that's hailreaperpod at gmail.com. We also have a couple more announcements. April 12th is the start 
of our season finale. We're doing two-part season finale, so April 12th. Mark that on your calendar. It's going to be a big episode. We're really excited for that. We're not going to give anything away, but that's coming up soon. And then lastly, this episode that's about to happen right now, we brought on Mathar, our friend, but also the voice of broadcasts and also... Oh, man, Mathar does everything for us. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but Mathar is a first-time reader of Golden Sun. So we wanted to capture that experience and talk about it. So it's spoilers for all of Golden Sun, and we're excited for you to listen. So here we go. Mathar, you said just yesterday that you finished Golden Sun for the very first time. So I want to ask you, what part of the book is just resonating with you the most? Oh, God. Well, aside from the obvious, which is the gut-wrenching twist ending, Mm -hmm. for which I have put the book in timeout. (laughs) Yeah, the book's in timeout. (laughs) It can't come out until you start Morningstar. No. Mm -mm. It just needs to think about what it's done. Mm -hmm. I get that. (laughs) Aside from that, I think chapter 50. Uh, okay. The scene with Darrow and his mom. Yes. Okay, that's awesome because this is one of my favorite scenes in the entire book. And I've, I feel bad because I always want to say the gala scene is the best scene. But for me on an emotional level, I connected with that a lot. What is it? Was it an emotional connection or what was it about that specific moment that really drew you into the book? And why is it still resonating with you as a first time reader? It was cathartic. Hmm. Right. Like there, we've talked before about how much tension there is in this book, like from the gala scene on, it's already stressful (laughs) on its own. Everything that's happening to Darrow, like nothing's going right for him before the gala scene. And then things start to turn in his favor, right? Things start to go his way with minor caveats there. But this feels like, you know, literally coming home, right? Like he Mm. is, you're still hopeful that Mustang will be waiting I mean, I don't know if we need to set that scene up, but for anybody (laughs) who needs a reminder, chapter 50 is the scene in which Darrow returns to like the the part of Lycos that is his home. So he's descending further into the commons and he shows, he takes Mustang to his childhood home and he hands her the holocube and walks inside. It's so wild. It's wild. Yeah. and, And so during this entire scene, I was totally expecting Mustang to be waiting for him, right? Mm. Um, I was expecting her to make a different decision. Like I thought it would be hard for her, even when he looked at the his data pad and says she's she's leaving, right? I'm thinking ah, there's going to be something else that happens, and I was right about that. By the way, like she did come back, but like it still didn't end the way that I expected. But that even up to that moment before chapter fifty two, so chapter fifty and chapter fifty one, those resonated a lot with me. Those felt like a coming home of like everything that like to me, I felt like, okay, yeah, Darrow's right about the mm-hmm. golds. Darrow's right about his mission, about Eo's vision. He's right about everything. Ragnar even drops to his I side and says mm-hmm. love it. like, okay, you know, yeah. if you're willing to die on this hill, I'm going to die with you. And that's huge, mm-hmm. right? An obsidian and a red kneeling before a gold, trying to prove to her that she can change as well. Right. And you think she does. There's no way she pulls that trigger. And so then you move to the next chapter and you're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, we're triumphant. 
Like that worked, <laughs> right? We're ending on a high note here. Uh-huh. That's great. Fanfare. And it's fanfare I, for I, everyone. I knew something was going to happen. I did not expect that to happen. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, still didn't see it coming. Not exactly. It's just, it's so expertly written. Those mm. last three chapters are so expertly written. Every moment is designed to keep you just on the edge of your seat. I guess to answer your question, I've talked a lot. To answer your question is it's, that- You're getting just, it all out though. This is like- Yeah, yeah oh my God, I'm gushing here. Yeah. To answer your question about what that what resonated with me is as flawed as Darrow is, you want him to be right. Yeah. And in that moment with his mom, she accepts him back in. They talk. She's very frank with him. I love that. Says what she thinks about Eos, is what she thinks about everything. And it's just like, I don't know, it felt good. I can't, I can't quite put my finger on what it was. It just felt very cathartic to me. Mm-hmm. And it felt comfortable. Can I share my favorite quote with you from that scene, Mathar? Please. When his mom looks at him and said, I would know you anywhere. That's it. I just like, yeah. I just, it just, it melts you. That, that definitely uh, embodies like how I felt in that scene. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people mention that kind of relationship between mother and child uh, in that moment as, as kind of the, the biggest impact to them. When you started talking about that scene initially, you were kind of talking more about Mustang and the reveal of Darrow being a red with a hollow cube and the impact that it had on her and her reaction from that. So which gave a greater emotional response to you? I think you just brought it home for me. Like you made me realize what I like about that scene. He drops the mask. He's not a gold in that scene. I mean, he is still, but he becomes a red again, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's like Darrow, it's honest. It's probably one of the most honest moments for Darrow in the entire book for me. I see something happening to Darrow through this book that I expected to happen. And that's absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Like that old adage is so true. The power that Darrow has as a gold makes him realize it's very, this is great. Yeah, he admits it. I love living like a gold, right? I don't want to return to the mines. I don't want to, like, I want my people to be free Maybe I am better, right? You you see, he has these internal monologues that make him, even when he goes back to the garden, he's looking around, he's like, I am better than this. This is trash. There's nothing. And it's not to say that like golds are better, but like he is starting to like rise literally in his mind above his original station and see himself as deserving of more. And I'm not saying he's becoming corrupt, but like he's changing. And in this moment, he drops that mask, he drops that facade, and it's so honest. He is Darrow, the red from Lycos. He is home. And I think when characters that are written like this, books that are written like this, with tension, there's intrigue, there is, you know, subterfuge, you hate it because there's so many lies. There's so much dishonesty throughout the entire book. And it's just like, ah, you need to be more honest. Just tell them, right? You can't, but then they can't, right? You want them to speak truth, but then they can't. And so in in this moment, Darrow was able to speak freely, was able to be honest. That's what made it feel so good, I think. So cathartic. I have a question for you, Mathar. Mustang is probably, I would say she's the most reliable character we have in the series to the first two books, right? She's always kind of helping. Easily one of the most likable. Yeah, that too. (laughs) And so now you're at this position where you have not read Morningstar. So you leave Mustang, rather Mustang leaves you, the reader, as well as Darrow. Kind of what are your feelings towards Mustang right now uh, as a character? Well, she didn't kill Darrow and Ragnar. That's huge. Mm -hmm. She came back. That's huge. And when she said all the way in, like she wants all, well, I think the, the actual phrasing is all the way. Yeah. 
And he says, you know, you wanted me to let you in. How far do you want to go? And she says, all the way. That just made me like her so much more. The fact that she left didn't surprise me. The fact that she came back made me think I was right about her. And also the fact that she didn't kill them in the tunnel. Jeremy, I remember you texted me about this scene specifically. And I'm glad we're talking about this scene because it's not something that we've really talked about much throughout the, the season. We've not really built up to. And this is a huge moment in the in the story. But I remember you texting me on your first read through before we even started uh, Hail Reaper. And you were like, I was so nervous about this scene. So do you kind of echo those same sentiments that Mathar has right now? Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of that because that's one of the fun things of what we're doing right now. We're getting to relive that experience. And I've forgotten about that nervousness that I text you. And it's fun to be reminded of those things. And and being that Mustang is my favorite character in the series, you realize that that this is one of those important moments to you where you realize that all that altruism really kind of pays off. And she really is one of the most true, sincere, well-intentioned characters of the, of the series. So I completely echo all the sentiment. Well, you know, it, it, it Pierce is doing... I don't know if this is a device. I don't know if this is a, a like a, what you would call this, but Pierce is doing something really interesting with the writing in that a lot of times as a reader or as a viewer of something, you're like not sure if you can trust how you feel about a character, right? Like you have like an instinct about them, the way that they're written. And you don't know if like the author is like, you know, misleading you in some way, right? Like is only giving you enough, like with, you mentioned with Fitchner, Philip, that Fitchner had to be written in a specific way that wouldn't make it obvious who he really was right? That was intentionally so. And that made you feel a certain way about the character. And yet it was still written in this way that when you find out, you're like, oh, I knew I liked Fitchner, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I knew I liked Fitchner. And I knew I liked Mustang. I knew I liked Ragnar. And I was so waiting for like Ragnar to betray Darrow. I was like, mm. you know, Pierce is going to do something <laughs> terrible. And Ragnar is going to realize that like, he is an obsidian. And like, even though he knows who Darrow is, he failed at the river, right? And he's going to turn on him. And he takes that failure and throws it in his face and then kneels. And you're just like, this whole moment for me is like, okay, how I feel about these characters, the way that they're written, they're written fairly. Yeah. The feeling that I have about them is proving to be true. I'm not wrong. And therefore I can trust the author. <laughs> like they're not, they're not messing with me, you know? Like, and that's a, that's what made it so cathartic is like, okay, how I feel about it. And so then that final scene of the book, which I'm sure we'll talk about, drives that home even more because you're like, I knew you couldn't trust them. <laughs> you know, like I didn't trust them from the beginning, right? You know, she told you not to trust them, you know? So there's like just a lot of feelings. I have a lot of feelings right now. <laughs> so before we jump in to that last scene of the book and what those raw emotions really had for you, I'm curious because you do a lot of D&D, you do a lot of role playing and you actually uh, dungeon master a lot. So right. you're used to story building. You're used to kind of imagining what these things will be like. So I know, Mathar, you had this very real sense of how you painted the end of this book going into it. So I'm actually really curious, what did you think the end of the book was going to hold? Okay, so the crowning ceremony, totally mm -hmm. expected that, right? I saw that that was going to happen, especially in the trajectory, unless something shifted, right? But I was like, okay, so if this goes the way that I, I feel like it's going. So the Iron Rain ends about 10 chapters before the book is over, mm -hmm. right? Something like that, roughly 10 or 12 chapters. So there's still a lot of book left. So like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, like something is gonna go awry. And, you know, it's interesting that this book is written from one person's perspective and not from many people's perspective, the way that say A Song of Ice and Fire is written. Because mm -hmm. I could see that being very effective as well. 
despite the fact that it's one person's perspective, it, we move around a lot. A lot happens in 10 chapters. We're in a lot of different locations. We are talking to a lot of different people. And so I'm thinking, okay, so we're we're just getting, we're setting up the third book. We're just wrapping things up. We're wrapping up loose ends. Pierce doesn't want to leave you with, you know, leave any plot holes or leave you wondering about certain things. Really wants to like tidy things up before we go into book three. So I'm sensing like resolve. And when we get to, I think it's the last chapter is the the triumph, yeah. the crowning. Long scene of all the fanfare for a while. Right. And then you're in the throne room with Nero and Darrow bows. And I'm thinking we have a moment among Darrow and his friends and we're left wondering about Mustang. And it's just very much like, what happens next? I thought there might be like a scene involving like something with Octavia. I did not expect the betrayal. I did not expect, at that point, I was lulled into a false sense of security. <laughs> I did not expect betrayal. I think what I, to answer your question, Jeremy, what I felt coming was just a sense of, like, I felt like we were going to end on that resolve. Not mm. that like, hey, everything's great, but like, Darrow's okay. Darrow and Mustang are going to be okay. Darrow and his friends are going to be okay. They have to watch, like he has to watch his back, but now he's going to start like letting people in. Like he's going to finally realize, okay, I can trust more people than I thought. He might actually trust Roke with the secret, even though I didn't really feel he should. That was, I guess, how I thought it might end at that point. <laughs> at, at, that, at the point that we leave the commons and he is crowned. I just really feel like that was this nice sort of like, I guess I thought like it might feel nice because the third book would start off with something insane, right? <laughs> like I thought, yeah. okay, Pierce is going to start Morningstar with a bang. And so this is like my only moment of peace <laughs> that I'm going to get before the real bite begins. And we don't get that. Hailed Reaper is brought to you this week by Terigian Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Terigian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. The great thing about Terigian Law is that there's no double speak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Just call 559-627-5399 or visit terigianlaw.com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. Or call 559-627-5399. Tarigian Law. The advice you need, minus the BS. So we've talked about the end of the book. Well, we're going to talk about that a lot in the last couple episodes of the season. But I do want to ask you a fun question and just say whatever you want on this. Do you have any predictions for Morningstar right now? I don't think I've had time to form predictions about that right now. Let's see. I'll off the, off the, shooting from the hip. Just give me one. Yeah, just give me one that you might think might be happening. I believe Mustang will return. I think Mustang and Severo will save Darrow 
obviously. <laughs> and I think Octavia will die early in the book or will be taken down early. Like I, I think Pierce is going to subvert my expectations or, or I think he would try to subvert the expectation that the entire third book would lead up to her fall. I think that'll actually happen relatively early. And then you'll be left wondering what the hell happens in the rest of the book. Mm. You know, like she's been taken down. And I, I, I guess that's where I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if society will fall in this trilogy. I mean, I know, I, I, don't, I think I'd have different thoughts if, I, if there weren't a second trilogy. The fact that I know there's a second trilogy and a sixth book still being written makes me think that maybe society doesn't fall in the, in the third book, right? Like I'm, I'm questioning what I thought would be happening in the third book and, and, and maybe we're left only with some resolution of Darrow's story and like his journey and that the baton is handed, or at least then we look at a different perspective. I, I know that the second trilogy is not from Dara's perspective. I've that's been spoiled. So like I know that much. Yeah. And so I, I just I guess I feel like I don't know if this book is written with that in mind. So I don't know. I, I don't know if Pierce wrote this knowing that there would be a second trilogy. I don't know how mm-hmm. how he, that would set up. So I, I guess I I would assume without that knowledge, yeah, it, it's she's gonna die early in the book and then he's going to throw me for a loop. <laughs> Jeremy and I aren't going to say a thing to you. We're going to let you experience that. I know this sure. sucks. I'm just but... like trying to read your faces right now. I'm like, you have to tell me what's going to happen, but don't tell me. I do have a question though, because you have been heavily integrated into the Red Rising community. Right. Because you've helped us make this podcast over the course of the last four or five months. Mm-hmm. And you've been producing and editing and doing sound design. And then obviously your broadcast for those people that don't have put the two and two together, you're the character broadcast as well. Right. What scene from Golden Sun specifically was spoiled for you that felt like you didn't have that kind of resonant impact that you wanted? Was there one? Because you just were all the way in. Oh yeah, it was Fitchner. It was the reveal of Ares. <laughs> It was, and it was, you know what it was? It's Josh's voiceover in the, uh, in the intro. Yep. I knew it. I was like, what else could that mean? Like, that, there's nothing else that that could be. Yeah, and, and you so put it was that just together. Obvious to me. I suspected it when I was cutting that uh, together. I knew something like that would happen. I was very trepidatious about cutting the intro before I finished the book, because I was like, one of these voiceovers is going to be very significant, <laughs> and it was. The minute I heard it, I was cutting it, not even really thinking about it, and then I was like, oh my God. <laughs> God, <laughs> having this moment, like in the middle of, of working on the intro, um, there are others as well, but I think that's the, the most significant one. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you're part of our, our Discord community too. And so I'm, I'm sure you've seen stuff just flying around there. And that's why I know you don't spend a lot of time on that Discord because you don't want to immerse yourselves in the spoilers because almost everyone on that of like the, what, 40, 50 people there like have read all five books. So it's like, it's a bad hang for for someone that's right. just about to read uh, Morningstar for sure. And there's a lot of stuff that I'm sure I'll be able to track with in the book. Like I'll see coming based on conversations I've heard you and Philip or you and Jeremy have. And, uh, you know, that's my, that's on me. It's on me. You gave me plenty of time to read that book. I was going through it. So for a little context, I listened to the audiobooks. Uh, like that was how I was getting through because I busy schedule. It was hard for me to find time to sit down and read. I had the paperbacks and it was hard for me to find time to sit down and read. So I just switched to audiobook. Did not enjoy the audiobooks as much. I wasn't feeling connected to the story. So I stopped the audiobook of Golden Sun halfway through at like, I think chapter late 30s, maybe chapter 40. 
and decided to go back. And again, it was very, very slow. I was like desperately trying to get through Golden Sun before we got to this point because I knew if we did a finale, it was probably going to spoil some stuff for me. <laughs> There's no way that I was not going to like be spoiled. So I wanted to get to this point. And that's what inspired this episode is just the idea like as I was reading through Golden Sun, I was feeling that deep connection to the characters and to the story in a way that I didn't before. Like when I started season two, I didn't have that like strong emotional connection to Darrow or any of the characters. Mm. I needed to read it in this format for me to feel that. I've I've experienced both. And I, I you get a really different type of story mm-hmm. when you read versus when you do audiobook. And it's just whatever resonates with you and, and how it makes you feel like you're in the world. And I can listen to the audiobook in passing like you did, like you're doing dishes or you're doing those other things. And you just sometimes pick, you miss some of that deep kind of nuance that Pierce Brown writes with. So I get that. I totally understand that. And I think I would appreciate that more after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. That would be my preferred way in the future. Read Morningstar, listen to it, right? And, you know, if I want to do rereads and I don't have the time, exactly. it's like, go back and listen to it. But the first read through, I, I had enough time between pressing pause on the audiobook and picking up the paperback that when I did, it, those voices were different in my head than like TGR. Like TGR is like portrayal of golds and everything. It's like, it's not that it's not a great performance. It's just that it came across as like, a specific way to me. Mm. And I think that's what was happening is like the characters, I was not getting to like imagine these scenes in a, in, in a way that like I needed to, I was not getting to hear their voices in my head and, and conjure those things up. And so I think that's what did the trick. Nice. I want to move on and ask you a Hill Reaper question. Uh, again, to reiterate, you do a ton of work for us. Uh, you're a partner with Jeremy and I, you do a lot of the back end production. So I have, the question I have that I'd like to know, and I haven't not talked to you about this, is what has been kind of one of your favorite moments of working on this as far as a, from a production standpoint? Uh, Tactus. Tactus, yeah. For sure, Tactus, yeah. Because I had, I had reached that scene. I knew it happened, right? And so like going back and rereading the scene when we made that episode actually unlocked something for me in the book. I, I realized again, something like nuanced that I had missed in like the listen. And I guess- Painting that picture of, well, one, I didn't know how I would feel about Roke. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, and so using Roke's allegory about Quinn for Tactus, I think was, is a brilliant move on Philip's part. That was your suggestion, right? And I think it gave me a, a totally new perspective on that scene. It gave me a new pre- appreciation for like the delicacies of of politics within this society. And how raw everyone is about their place in this world. Mm. A lot of people, right? It, it's not just reds and low colors. There are golds that just want to live in peace. And and so a new appreciation for Lorne, mm. I think as well. So yeah, that that for me would be hands down, I think like my favorite moment so far. And there's a connection that a lot of people have made that I intended on um, with the, the allegory that's read by Roke, but it, we repurposed it for tactics because there's this moment and that people have messaged us on the Discord or Instagram, and it's been really fun because we got we got flooded with messages about that specific episode because I think we presented it maybe a, a, a different take than a lot of people might have thought. It's a little hot. It's coming in a little hot. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people, some people disagreed and some people really agreed. But either way, the allegory specifically was probably my highlight as well. Um, but here's something that was really fun to do and fun for people to pick up on. That was an intention for me that I didn't, we didn't outwardly say anywhere. The allegory itself is these two pigeons 
are trying to find each other and then they go home. You know, that's how it ends. Mm-hmm. They, they come home. And that's exactly what Tactus is trying to tell Daryl. Like, I want to come home. It's weird because it feels like Tactus and Daryl really fit that mold of that story better than any other two characters. And when For you sure. put that together, you emailed it to us. And I listened to it in my kitchen while I was making dinner. And I honestly got super choked up. Yeah, I remember when uh, you and I, Philip, were planning uh, season two. And and that's one of my favorite sections of the entire book is Roke's allegory of the two pigeons. It's one of those things where Pierce has an amazing ability to write prose. And God, yeah, I think that's one of his strengths is that each character has a very, very definitive cadence and, and, and kind of speech patterns that really define them in our minds. And Roke, I think I'm, I may be even realizing this right now. I think Roke <laughs> might be my, my favorite of Pierce's prose that he writes because of the poetic nature, because of that delicate way that, that Roke delivers lines. And I knew just that I wanted it in there and I had no clue where it was going to go. I, I think that's the, the beauty of what you did. And I, I like how you connected that uh, to uh, Tactus wanting to come home because I had no place for it to go. I just demanded that it was going to be in the season somewhere. Yeah, you said, I just want, I want, it to, I want to do this. I'm like, okay, well, I'll figure it out. And you brought it home just like the pigeon. Oh. So I appreciated hey. that. All the homes, <laughs> just buying homes left and right. Just about, oh, dude, just thinking, I guess, expanding on uh, your thought about like the way that Pierce writes the different voices. Again, not using chapter breaks to change perspective, to change voice, writing style. It does it just mid-sentence, mid-page, mid-paragraph. Like, I couldn't read any line from uh, either Victra or Adrius that wasn't kind of sing-song in my mind. He painted that so beautifully. He didn't have to describe how Adrius replies or how Victra replies. It's just in the context, yeah. their body language and stuff. It's like, I can't imagine them not, you know, having like a sing-song, playful way of the way they talk. And the same thing with Roke. Like, very soft spoken. Like I can't, you know, it's like, it's so clearly formed in my mind how these characters speak, how they sound. And so expertly written. I I do have a much deeper appreciation for this man's talents now that I've finished Golden Sun. Whereas like Red Rising did feel like an early work, right? It's well, well conceived. The conceit of Red Rising is wonderful. The execution, I think I was like, oh, it's pretty good. It felt a little YA, you know, much darker than most YA, I think much like richer than most YA, mm-hmm. but uh, which is uh, young adult fiction. But this did not. This this feels like a an artist finding their stride, and I'm excited for what happens in Morning Sun. I think I think that's going to be my favorite book. I have, I have a feeling I'm going to love Morning Sun. Every book, as far as like I know, Jeremy and I've had this discussion off podcast quite a bit. Like there's an ascension for Pierce. He's climbing a ladder. Every book just gets more and more well written. And you can feel like that, you know, the tenor of like feeling uh, Adrius or feeling Victra kind of in their voices, Right. that becomes more pronounced in, you know, even the second trilogy specifically, you're like, holy crap, like this is just really, really well written. Like, it's funny because the jump that you experience between Red Rising and, and Golden Sun, it happens again in Morningstar and it's going to happen again in Iron Gold. And it's going to, by the time you get to Dark Age, you're like, this is, this person is just an absolute expert in their craft. Yeah. He's just honing his craft mm-hmm. in this already amazing series, right? He started off yeah. strong and the praise for Morning Sun. I read some of the reviews after I finished the book. A lot of people feel the same way. 
that like this is not a sleeper, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? not at all. Like, you know, you you don't expect a book two to be this strong. They're like, if this is a sign of what's to come, you know, we're in for really, really great things. Yeah. I want to move on and I want to kind of wrap up the podcast here. But before we totally do that, let's talk about what's next because this is episode eight and we have nine and 10. I know when we we had our first, uh, our season premiere, which was Golden Sun, we promised 10 episodes and we're definitely delivering on that. We're going to shift away a little bit. We're shifting away from character-driven, character-focused episodes, and we're going to be moving into the last two episodes we scene-driven because we have not addressed, we, we've talked about it, um, just the triumph scene, but we're going to spend some time on that scene in the same way we're spending time on everyone's favorite scene, the gala. So we're going to be covering that extensively in the next episode as well. And do you guys have anything you want to kind of add to that? Because I just want to set it up, but I, I want to know what like the either it's, whether it's just initial excitement or thoughts, or maybe you want to give a little bit of a tidbit away for what's coming. I mean, it's up to you guys. Yeah, I think I would just voice my excitement over it. I mean, Philip, you and I have not really uh, kind of mapped those out yet. So there's there's also this kind of little bit of nervousness for me. Yeah, it's a, they're big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so much to overcome as far as the expectations i think of the listeners i mean mm. when, when you anytime you attack by far the favorite scene uh, i think a lot of people already have emotions and feelings about that scene so i just hope we do it justice and paint it in, in a light that that they'll accept yeah and i feel that way too from you know i'm not in the in the hot seat i don't have to bring you know brilliant insights <laughs> to the table I get to work with what you give me. So I, yeah, I also hope those are good. <laughs> I hope you do it justice. Yeah. But I hope that I'm able to, I guess, bring those to life for the listener. Like I'm excited to live in that scene because uh, the gala specifically, I'm excited to live there. I, I'm very, I'm dreading returning to the final scene. Yeah. The last half of Golden Sun, uh, chapter 51, Golden Sun. I mean, I'm dreading that. Uh, I'm excited to return to the gala. And I've just, now that I've completed the book, there's so many, like the dichotomy between those two scenes is perfect. That's why we chose to do these two scenes because you have this confrontation between Cassius and Darrow in the gala and then a confrontation uh, in the final, and you know, at the triumph, you have uh, a reunion between Mustang and Darrow and then you have a parting you know, at the triumph, right? They're, they're together and then they're separate. And like, there's just, he saves Roke in the gala, at the gala. <laughs> and then Roke betrays him at the triumph. You know, there's so much yeah. that you can compare between these two <laughs> scenes. I'm really excited to see how the contrast between those two and what we can do in the presentation. So we've been saving Roke. I understand why you are. <laughs> we mentioned him a little bit in the first episode and we have not talked about him hardly at all. Right, because you can't talk about Roke in season book one or book two and you cannot fully explore the character because so much is yet to be unraveled. We're going to address Adrius going full Adrius. We're going to address Roke being full Roke. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're gonna, oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> um, my God. That was my second. That's, that's my other one. That yeah. moment, as Darrow describes the look, like what he sees leaving his eyes as he fully embraces the jackal. Oh, now that 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 quote from early, I think it was from Golden Sun, where he says, "Call me the Jackal," right? Like yeah. now that moment. Mm -hmm. There we oh, go. Oh, that's chilling. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave on this note. One of the last things that Adrius says in Golden Sun: 
evil be thou my good. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper is a production of Catacomb Body. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe, and thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. We were engineered by Joshua Ramsey, with editing and sound design by Math Ardelio. The bit of music you're hearing right now was written and produced by Sahab. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And follow at HailReaperPod on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. You can support the show directly by joining our Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with all the howlers of the Discord. Visit patreon.com slash hellreaper to learn more. This is Broadcast signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn reaper. Oh, my God.